You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today we'll be speaking with Jason Khalifa. Jason is a devoted father, world champion, and global businessman. Jason is a force of nature in the fitness world. However, his world was shaken to the core when his daughter Ava was diagnosed with leukemia in 2016 at the age of four. Jason and his wife Ashley dedicated themselves to the fight armed with a relentless positivity and zeal. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Yeah, no, thank you. It's good to it's good to be on the show. I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to jump on and let us share a little bit of our perspective about Ava's journey and what we've learned. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, firstly, I just want to let you know that you do so much. I was on your website earlier this week, jasonkalipa.com, and it's so impressive to see everything that you've created and are involved in. Before we jump into those things, though, I just want to start with life leading up to Ava's diagnosis and around that time, because I was speaking with a young adult who had just left for a solo European trip. Imagine that. And after three days in, she got the news of her diagnosis. And another young adult who had just moved to Pittsburgh, had a new apartment, a new job, a new relationship, knew nobody in the town or that city, and received her diagnosis shortly after. What was it like for you? What was going on at that time for you and your family? Yeah. So Ava was diagnosed in January of 2016. And at that time, you know, life was rock and rolling. Aside from her medical concerns we had, which I could share with you. Um, Leading up to that, I mean, I had been competing in the CrossFit Games for years, had had quite a bit of success there. We had built a, you know, multinational business. Uh, We had two children, Uh, you know, things were, things were going well. And then, you know, our daughter started having leg pain and we thought it was just like growing pains. We didn't really think, we thought something of it, of course, like I consulted with our uh, you know, doctors and physical therapists. And we thought it was just growing pains. And then, you know, she was getting really tired in school and we were like, huh. And so we thought maybe she had like an iron deficiency or something like that going on. Then at the same time, she started having these bad ear infections. Uh, you know, I remember the doctor specifically saying to me that this was the worst ear infection he had ever seen. I was like, man, that's kind of odd. You know, like being the worst you've ever seen, that sounds like there's something big going on. And and then finally, the, wow. the, yeah, the big factor that really kind of rocked our world was she started getting uh, bruising. So finally, and we had been taking her into the doctors, but when you look at these things as individual cases, there wasn't any alarm to be, you know, there was always kind of something that it might be. And then finally, he's like, hey, man, we need to get blood work done. And when they when the blood work was taken, it was the middle of the day. And I'll never forget, we were back home. We were, you know, my wife had made dinner. And our, our pediatrician had called and just said, Hey, there's something irregular in the blood work. I'll call you back in five minutes. Right. That was the, that was the thing. 
So then he goes, Hey, I talked to, you know, the, the additional doctors and we need you to go to the Stanford emergency room right now. And, you know, we packed, we, we didn't even pack up anything. We just left dinner on the table and we left. I mean, it was, it was that quick. And, uh, even speaking about it gives me goosebumps because that night, you know, we learned a lot. Then, uh, two and a half years later, we, we made it through and here we are you know, about eight months post chemo and, Ava's rock and rolling. And for those listening, Ava's diagnosed as acute lymphoblastic leukemia known as ALL. It's one of the most common forms of leukemia found in children. So you said that you kind of had to just get up and get started because, of course, this is something so unexpected. Where did you find or were, was there information at the time? Was there education at the time? Where did you go for that type of support? Well, I mean, I think for me, and I talk about this a lot, and for anybody listening who's struggling with a family member who's sick or perhaps they're sick, they're looking to get through things. I think that exercise and competing and getting comfortable with uncomfortable has done wonders for my wife, myself, and my family. Uh, For a lot of years, I was competing in the CrossFit Games, and I thought that I was competing to test myself. I thought I was competing maybe for, you know, money or whatever it was, but it wasn't the money. It wasn't the fame. It was developing a set of tools that when life throws you a curveball and you have to overcome adversity in sport, you learn to overcome it by positive self-talk, understand what's in your control. And I developed a set of skills by having a sports therapist that worked with me and my wife and I developed these skills over the years because we had to if I wanted to compete at the highest level. But it just so happens that when Ava got sick, which was the biggest curveball we had gotten, those skills transferred over so, so, so well. And my recommendation for anybody is that if you're not exercising in some way, shape, or form, don't be motivated by the health benefits. If by now you're not motivated by that, you're probably not going to be motivated by that or how you feel or how you look. You know, you could be motivated by if life ever throws you a curveball through exercise, you learn how to overcome these things in an atmosphere that's not life or death so that when things get challenging, you're more set up to overcome them. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. The night that Ava was diagnosed, it hit us. It rocked our world because, you know, we weren't that educated on what leukemia was. I mean, obviously, we just knew it was bad. And my wife, you know, takes me out of the hallway and she's just like, hey, listen, you go tell our family the news, but you make sure you tell them that there will not be a, a tear shed in front of our daughter. If they want to cry, they can cry outside. When they walk inside, it's going to be nothing but positivity. And we're going to get through this. And we're going to crush it. And she just turned around, went right back into the room. It was like a football coach giving the biggest pump up speech of the lifetime. <laughs> and, and it wasn't that Ashley, it was just ingrained in her from seeing me pass out on events or, or perhaps having to overcome success and failures on the, on the floor in the, in the arena with thousands of people watching it then carried over. And so again, that's my motivation for everybody's looking back on it now it was all those times of of overcoming it that helped us overcome this biggest challenge and i'm still taking that into my life every single day now um, i'm more motivated than ever actually right i mean you made a great point i was watching a few of your clips on your instagram and on your website and you talk about mental strength often and you said that during this time i mean when you exercise and you do it for actually gaining more mental capacity to handle different things in life it translates over to other areas of your life so how much did mental strength play a role in your daughter's cancer journey as a parent oh i mean I mean, hugely. I, I mean, look, in the order of importance, obviously, uh, you know, doctors, hospitals, medicine. I mean, look, I mean, it goes without saying that Stanford and Lucille Packard uh, are are top notch and I will be forever grateful. But, you know, it was through the relationships with my family that we had developed. It was through 
um, you know, overcoming these things that we were able to come together as a strong unit and fight as one and not allow this negativity or allow this, this situation to take over us, right? We allowed it to make us stronger. And I think it's because by the time we had gotten to this huge trial, we had had minor little trials to overcome. And so even today, like I just got done running and I ran pretty far and I set myself a goal and I did it. And tomorrow morning I'm going to the ocean. I'm going to go do a cold plunge, not because I want to, but because I know that by me going in there and putting myself in this uncomfortable position, it'll help me to build up the mindset, get stronger, to learn how to overcome just this little bit of adversity where if life throws me a curveball throughout the day, hopefully I could better accomplish that. And I think when looking at Ava's diagnosis, our family was was a strong unit together. And I think some of that came through all of our fitness. Now, obviously, other than that, it's just a lot of love, a lot of care, and a lot of really amazing people, of course. But this was something that was in our control that we could do now, today. And in a video on your website, your wife Ashley says that when Ava got diagnosed, you had an emotion that she had never seen, that she believes Ava saw and wanted to be more connected to you. Can you tell me more about that transformation? Well, I mean, I just think up until that point, you know, I mean, my relationship was good. I, but once she got diagnosed, I mean, I was in the hospital every single day, every night, didn't miss a thing. There was nothing else to focus on. And I do think something I would share with people is for years, I incorporated this idea of AMRAP mentality. And what that meant was, when I'm, when I'm doing something, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm working for as many reps as possible. And it really comes from fitness, but it carries over into everything else we're doing where you're present, you're focused on whatever you're doing and you switch gears throughout your day. And when she got sick, there was nothing else on the plate. I mean, I remember I'll talk to my dad. I was like, Hey dad, you know, it's, um, it was like the first day and he's just like, Hey, look, we're going to take Caden. He's our son. And you have one focus and your focus is to get Ava better. That's it. And so from that day forward, it was just a hundred percent attention on her. And that was really, that was great for our relationship um, because she got to see, I mean, I was all in and um, I think that was, that was, that was special for our relationship then and still special for our relationship today. Absolutely. Speaking of AMRAP, because I'm going to be honest, to me, CrossFit can be very intimidating. <laughs> I feel like it's a whole new yeah. world. There's new lingo, for example, instead of gym. Don't you guys use the word box? It can be intimidating at times. Mm-hmm. So how would you explain CrossFit to someone who has never tried it, but may be intimidated by it? I think that they need to just remove anything and just walk in the door and find a coach. Whether you call it CrossFit, you call it functional fitness, you call it high intensity training, call it whatever you want. You know, we just want to get people moving. We want them squatting, pressing and pulling. We want them doing, you know, relatively high intensity based on their ability for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes at a hard effort. And you're going to see results you've never thought possible. And, um, you know, no better example of that. Uh, you know, when I was in the hospital, we spent probably three months there total, um, you know, off and on. Our, our longest stint, I want to say, was three and a half weeks, which was a pretty long time to be in the hospital. And we parked a truck in the parking garage and I just got after it. I put all the gear in the back of the truck and I lifted weights. I threw down and it's because that was a part of my routine that made me a better person. It made me a better father and husband. When I came into the room, I brought energy. I was fired up. And um, I think for anybody that's intimidated this word CrossFit, just remove the word CrossFit from anything and just look for a coach. If you want to Google CrossFit, go ahead and find a CrossFit gym. If you want to find a functional training center, just find that. But you need to find a coach and just walk in the door and meet people. And if it's not the right vibe and not the right you know, flow, then go on to the next one because you're going to eventually find someone 
who truly, truly cares about guiding you on your fitness journey. And all it takes is just that one step to walk in the gym. So beyond CrossFit, when you and your wife Ashley looked for, again, education and looked for support, were there other families that you connected to? Were there other, so like a support group? Where did you find the education to kind of learn more about Ava's diagnosis outside of what the doctors may have been telling you? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, I read that night, you know, I, I read as much as I could of the Emperor of All Maladies, which is a pretty popular cancer book. Yeah. Um, plus a couple others. And I mean, because I was in the hospital for so long, I just tried to educate myself. I I wanted to really learn as much as I could. Um, Ashley was connected to a network of moms. I had talked to a few people um, who had gone through it, and uh, that was that was helpful, right? She found, I, I think, especially for my wife, a network of moms who could talk about you know the next phase that we had to go through, whether it's interim maintenance or maintenance or you know DI delayed intensification each one of them comes to their own hurdles. And I think having her talk to these moms who had gone through it ahead of time was helpful because you can kind of set yourself up. And frankly, for that matter, it actually works the opposite. So sometimes the doctors overemphasize things. So for example, they took us into the room like three days after her diagnosis and they said, hey, she's gonna have to wear a mask for the next two years. She's not gonna be able to go to school for two years. She's not gonna grow her hair back for two years. And did she have to wear a mask? Did she not go to school? Did she, of course, but it wasn't for as long as they said. And I think they just kind of elevated it, maybe worst case scenario type thing. Whereas if you talk to families that went through it, it might be a little bit more realistic. Now, you obviously take it with a grain of salt, right? Every, every situation is different. Right. And at LLS, we definitely stress the importance of community because we have a few resources like online chats and we have LLS community, which is a, basically an online social platform. And we believe that there's power in community and that when something like this happens where it's completely out of the blue and you have no idea even how to approach it, even when you're told and you're going, like you said, you kind of have to get up and go. And sometimes you don't have the chance to gather all your resources. I think it's so important to stress the importance of community, like you're, like what your wife did, join that group of moms. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, we, we were really blessed. Um, we are blessed to have worked for a long time to build up a hedge financially uh, you know, obviously through sport physically and emotionally and, and our family was right there by our sides. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful every day that we had all that support we have. And now my wife and I are dedicated to fundraising and supporting other families. Uh, just next week, she's hosting her third annual Ava's kitchen event. And, um, you know, she fundraises heavily for, uh, you know, families and children going through pediatric cancer. And I think that's, that's our, that's one of our destinies now. Right. Because we we saw a side that was so heavy and we are so grateful that we had all these things that lined up well for us. But not everybody has those resources. And so um, we want to try and do the best we can. Right. And speaking of Ava's Kitchen, just reading about it online, how important is nutrition when it comes to any wellness endeavor? I think that, you know, eating healthy foods, I think most people would agree that, you know, leafy greens, some meat, meat, fruit, you know, nuts, seeds. And uh, things of that nature are, are going to be beneficial for your health. Um, I, I think that for us, we find that blend between eating really well for ourselves and then also letting our kids be kids. I, but I also think that there's a lot of poor food choices available to children these days. And I think that we need to be aware of what the, ben- the, the you know, regardless of cancer or leukemia, it's more so just about energy levels and these insulin spikes you know, if your children are just having these candies and sugars throughout the duration of the day, you know, it's not, that's not necessarily going to be extremely beneficial. So we're, we're aware of that. 
And we try and bridge the gap between eating healthy as a family, of course, but also at the same time, not, you know, if we're going to a kid's party and they want to have some cake, I mean, that's perfectly fine. Right. And like you said, after it was diagnosis, both you and your wife actually became more involved within the space of pediatric cancer, bringing more awareness to it and supporting other families going through it. Did you feel like maybe there was not enough support for you guys during that time at your diagnosis? And if so, what was missing that you feel like should have been there at a time where you thought you would have needed it the most? Well, I mean, look, obviously it's my perspective, but I think that every oncology department, every hospital should have a gym in it. I mean, I just feel that way. I think the gym just releases a lot of really positive things in your body and it brings a lot of energy back into the room. And, you know, I think we think about the children all the time, which is obviously, you know, priority number one. But we also need to make sure the parents are doing well because they ultimately, we want to make sure their relationship stays strong between the two parents. And, you know, we want to make sure they stay healthy. And I think by having a gym there is a low hanging fruit that we could try and work on, which is something I'm passionate about, which hopefully in the future I'd be able to implement more. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't so much what there wasn't available. It's what we have available. I think we have a, I don't want to use the word destiny, but a, but a, we need to support other people because of all the things we've been blessed with. We have a large network that wants to make an impact and we need to make an impact and, and we can, you know, Ashley's event last year raised 400 grand in one night. And that could put a lot of smiles on a lot of kids' faces. And, you know, people want to be a part of it. And we just need to continue with it and do it for the right reasons, which is, you know, to provide these families, even these small little trips for a baseball game or lunch or dinner. And that little bit might just get them through the next month or two of hardship. Absolutely. And you know what I find really interesting about your story is that we've spoken to so many families and patients and caregivers and, and HCPs, healthcare professionals. And, you know, when something like this comes up, fitness is probably nowhere on the radar. They're, th- they're probably thinking, now we have to zero in on how to fight this thing and we're going to be in the hospital room. We're going to get support from our families. You think you don't think of fitness because you might just be thinking about the physical aspect of it as opposed to, like you said, the mental aspect of it that allows someone to push that much harder through this, right? Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. I mean, from the day of diagnosis, obviously like the first day or two was busy. But after that, every single day, right? I mean, I knew when the doctors were making their rounds and I made it my business to get outside and uh, get after workout and I would come back in and you know my priority was obviously inside the hospital but another priority of mine is to recharge refuel and to bring that energy back into the room with positivity and there's no better way in my opinion than getting out there and working out and you know we don't need to put on a pedestal if someone's listening right now and they have family members going through something challenging or they're going through something challenging you don't need to make it like this all or nothing just go for a five minute walk go for a 10 minute walk walk down the hallway seven times right and at least you're winning, you know, and then tomorrow try and do a little bit better and stay consistent with it. But, you know, better is better is the way I look at it. Absolutely. There was this one person I was speaking with. She's a young adult. And she was saying that when she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, she was so sick from her diagnosis. And she loves fitness. She loves going to the gym. She loves working out. And she it would it would hurt her so much that she couldn't do that. So she just started encouraging other people to do it. And she had a hashtag that got started. And people would use that hashtag to remind her and kind of motivate her and strengthen her, letting her know that she can't get out of bed today, but they are. 
And, you know, and I thought that was so powerful for people to see because it's not it, it, it provides hope and strength to the person going through it. And that it also lets people around who may not be going through a diagnosis also understand that this is a blessing and we should be we should be using all we can to kind of impact others and do what we can to motivate others. So I think that's so huge. Yeah, absolutely. hundred uh, percent. And it's just you just got to get started with it. And if it's not a part of your lifestyle right now, that's fine. But you could easily make it a part of your lifestyle. And, you know, people say there's not time for it. There's always time for it. You just got to make prioritize it and make time for it. Right. Now, I want to jump into this. I call it I mean, I don't know if you call it this, but I call it this. This is the six the six month lease story is how I kind of phrase it. And I heard the story where you signed a six month lease and you said that in six months you'd either outgrow it or you'd go bankrupt. And fortunately, you were able to outgrow the space. What was that like? And what caused you to make such a bold move when it came to following your passion? Well, I mean, when I was graduating from college, I had a few opportunities on the table as far as regular traditional jobs. But at the time, I had been working in the fitness space at a traditional gym since in high school. So I had had a lot of experience. And, you know, I just told myself one day, I'm going to get after it. I'm going to start my own business. And I want to be, you know, in charge of my destiny. The more hard work I put in, the more benefit I should receive. And I wanted to see it that way. And the only opportunity I could find was a six-month lease because the guy took a big chance on me. I happened to go to the same school that he had graduated from. I had no money, no credit, nothing. And uh, he's like, all right, I'll give you six months. I said, all right. And, um, you know, from day one, as soon as you sign the ink on that, you know, I never forget. I signed a lease for six months at like 1500 bucks a month on the hood of this white Dodge truck or maybe it was a <laughs> Ford truck. And I remember he took his copy. I took my copy. I was like, oh boy, you know, as soon as that thing you know, the, the ink hadn't even dried and I was, and I was already nervous and you just got to go, you know, there's really no other option. And it's like the same thing as someone getting sick in your family. When you get information like that, you got to go, you got to make it happen. And there's really two ways you can react to it. You could look at it with a pair of sunglasses, you look at it with the, you know, bright glasses on either. You could fall towards the negative, you could fall towards the positive, but in general, when you fall towards the negative, you know, negative things come out of it. But if you could find some type of positive somewhere in something, it's a nice way to kind of move forward. And I think when I signed that lease, it was like, all right, this guy, this guy finally gave me a chance. Even though it's only six months, I got to go. And um, we did. Right. And I feel like having that pressure, I mean, it can be seen as something like, oh, my gosh, like this, this is real life now. Or it's something that just, you know, motivates you even more because you know that time is limited. Yeah. And speaking of moving ahead on your Instagram, there was a clip uh, with yourself and a gentleman named Patrick Vellner. And there was a quote that said, I don't win and I don't lose. I just plow ahead. Now, for our listeners who are mostly patients and caregivers, who are listening and thinking, okay, but how do you do this? I know it's one step in front of the other, but how is it that Jason and his wife, Ashley, were able to take something so life-changing, and many would argue that it is life-changing for the negative, and move forward with such positivity and really stick to that? Where did you get that strength from? People ask me all the time, like, where do you get it, the internal drive from? It's like, well... I don't really know where it comes from, but you need to identify something that makes you feel strongly enough to get up and, and do something about it and identify why you're doing something, what's your internal why, and then you know keep reminding yourself of what that why is. And if your child is sick, the why for you to be fit is to be the best version of yourself for them, right? So that when they do get better, you're going to never allow fitness to inhibit your ability to go out and do anything with them. If they want to go climb a mountain, hell yeah, let's let's rock it, right? And that's an example of just understanding your deeper why, 
You know, why do I want to go to work? Well, if life ever throws me a curveball, I want to be best prepared to handle financially as an example, right? But I think understanding your why helps you to have this mental toughness. And outside of that, you know, just starting one foot in front of the other, I think is key. You know, as an example, if you really hate cold water, right? Just start off with a week, just putting your feet in some cold water, right? And then from there, maybe start taking cold showers. And then from there, maybe step it up. And what you'll find is that you start, um, a gentleman, David Goggins calls it callousing your mind. But you start creating calluses in your mind, like you do your hands, that then allow you to do more and more and more. And before you know it, you're trucking through anything you want to get after. Right. It's funny that you use that example. I was talking to a friend once and he was talking about trusting the process of, you know, get, just getting through different things in life. You no, know, my, of course, my answer was like, oh, but sometimes it can be so hard. And he was like, well, you know what? It's not really hard. It's just really uncomfortable. And he kind of used the same example. He was like, if someone said, go take a cold shower. I mean, it's not hard to do that. It's just going to make you very uncomfortable. When you think about it, when you start to kind of look at things in different lenses or just different ways, you realize that you can do so much because it all stems from how you think about something. Yeah, it's all in the mindset, right? I mean, we've we've had some really, really, really challenging times, as many people listening to this do. But it, it just depends how you want to reframe that in your mind. And I think you could develop some of those skills from a number of different ways from positive self-talk, right? When you feel a negative thought come in, trying to revert it to a positive one, to understanding what's inside your control versus outside your control. Really important, you can just take two circles, you know, in regards to your child's diagnosis, put all the things that are in your control, put on the left, pull all the things that are out of your control, put on the right, and focus on things that are in your control. And it helps to really make you feel more comfortable and not as stressed because you're focusing on things that you could actually drive an impact on, which I think is really important. Well, I mean, I think, it, I think anybody listening, you know, there's no... Everybody has their their times where things get tough, right? I mean, I can remember countless times, maybe not countless, but a few times, right, where, you know, I broke down and it was really tough. I remember this one time I was getting coffee. It was like three days after Ava's diagnosis and uh, I ordered like a cappuccino from like this, this coffee bag <laughs> and all of a sudden I just broke down. I was crying. And I just remember some dude behind me standing in line because we were in the hospital, right? He just, he's just like, hey, bro. Like he said something to me like, hey, man all will be well. And I was like, I said to myself, like, yeah, you're right. It is all going to be well. And maybe that was just what I needed at that moment. Right. And then other times when Ava, for example, got, um, put in the ICU, that was super, super heavy. Right. And that was a moment where you're not trying to be uber positive or rah, rah. It's a moment where you're trying to evaluate and evaluate in a positive way. So it's not always charging ahead, positive, positive, positive. There's also time for deep reflection saying, Hey, this is a serious situation with life and death on the line, you know, what could I do to improve this? And, you know, I, I think when you reframe it in your head of like what is in your control versus out of your control, it helps you to move forward and um, educating yourself. And, and then at the same time, obviously always thinking on the more positive side, I think is very important because your, your brain can go down a very negative path very quickly. That's so true. And I think it's so important to kind of hear both sides because a lot of times people might say, I can't relate because I'm just not there emotionally or mentally. But then when you hear that those people who are do are, are experiencing both emotions, but they're just really trying to focus on the one that's going to actually help them get through it. I think it's important for other people to hear that so they can also be encouraged. Yeah. Like I'll give you a really quick example. We were in the ICU and, and the doctors didn't talk um, as well as they should have between oncology and the ICU. And she missed a steroid uh uh, you know, like time where she needed her steroids. And in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a big deal, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, it's a steroid. 
um, versus all the other stuff that we had going on. But, you know, I was keeping track of all of her medications. I was keeping track of everything. And I just said to the nurse on, on hand, I was like, Hey, I'm just letting you know, I think she should have gotten her steroid in this. And sure enough, uh, you know, she's like, Oh yeah, you're right. You know, that was a miscommunication. No big deal. Right. And in the grand scheme of things, no big deal. But it was something I was focused on. I was focused on, hey, what medications does she have coming up? What can I do to improve her comfort level? What kind of food can I go get her? Instead of letting my brain go down this very negative path. And that's just an example. Right. That's a great example. That's so true. Because it's kind of what you choose to focus on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, back to competing and fitness, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but I mean, you know, that's, that's what I have to focus on when I'm competing. You're in the middle of a really hard event. And if you allow your thoughts to go to the negative, you're never going to perform the way you want to. And so you you need to train your brain to think towards the positive said this way, when life really kicks you down, then you're automatically thinking that way because it's second nature to you. Right. Now we spoke about it being, you know, you and your wife, Ashley, and your daughter, Ava. For you as a father, how how has this, you know, molded you and, and kind of shifted how you were before diagnosis to after as a father who may be listening to this podcast. I think I'm more compassionate. I think I'm definitely more emotional than I used to be. And I hold family and close friends to a very, you know, high regard. My my relationship with my family has gotten significantly closer. And I think it could have gone one of two ways, right? It could have gone the other way. I could have seen how they reacted to it and not been as supportive, but they stepped up to the plate bigger than anybody. And I'll never forget that. And so for me as a father... It's just made me um, listen more, uh, change my perspective. It allowed me to be more grateful for what we have at this point. When Ava was early on diagnosed, we used to travel all the time. And we couldn't travel outside the country for a while because she was getting diagnosis for like a couple of years, right? Right. And I remember just saying to her, I was like, hey, baby, when you get through this, we're going to take you anywhere in the world for as long as you want, Right. And sure enough, when she finished treatment, we went all, you know, we went a lot of places for like six weeks. We were gone. And the whole time through, through her treatment, I was just saying, Hey, let's, let's get excited for our world trip. Where are we going? Where are we going? And when we were on that trip, I just remember saying to myself, like, and when is it going to get better? Like the gratitude I had that day and I still have today because of those hard times we went through, it just totally changed the way I look at everything it just makes me a lot more grateful today. Right. Because you always hear about new normal. You always hear, you know, a lot of patients and caregivers will talk about, well, this is our new normal. So it's always interesting hearing kind of how this diagnosis has changed you because like you said, it can go one of two ways. It can, it can make you into a person that is super, just why did this happen to me? And of course, that's a valid question, but it, or it can turn you into someone who looks forward to this, just looks forward to the end of it. The end of when we get through this, where are we going next? Where's our next big trip? So it's always interesting to hear what, what the person transforms into um as a result of this experience yeah i mean the the question of why us never never ever ever was spoken once yeah like it never even crossed our mind right like it wasn't about why us it's about okay let's let's rock and roll right like we like it's outside of our control let's do this you know and now how can we impact more people's lives by this and um because i think when you start thinking about why us and you start kind of feeling sorry for yourself, that's when you could really start having detrimental effects between you and your spouse or, and and kids pick up on that, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why it was so important that, you know, people were never crying in front of you because at the time when you're a kid, you don't understand the gravity and people around you create the gravity of the situation. And when you have people around you being so somber, 
I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because that that might feed on to you. Right. And that's, you know what, and that's a really real thing to say because my grandmother, she had kidney cancer. And going back to the question of, you know, why me? She was one of those people who also never said that because she was saying, she always used to say, what can I do with that question? I can do nothing with that question. What I can do, you know, what I, what I can, you know, work with is, what can I learn more about? What are my other options? If anybody ever came and, you know, you know, showed sympathy, of course she accepted it, but she would always say, but you know what, but it's not to figure out why. My job is to figure out how to live. And that's really what I'm really going to do right now. Yeah, 100%. And you and your wife, you, like you said, you wanted to reach out to help other families fighting similar battles. And you and NC... FIT, NC Fit, teamed up with the Jesse Reese Foundation yeah. and the Michael Mina to create and host a handful of benefit events. Can you tell me more about that relationship, how that was created and formed? Yes. I mean, if anybody lives in the Bay Area, we own a gym business called NC Fit. Um, we have locations here. We also do corporate wellness uh, worldwide. And so we started off by doing blood drives here in the Bay Area. We hosted some major ones and we still do every year because of how many members we have. But then we kind of fast forward to that. So I just wrote a book. I finished it. Uh, it came out on January 8th. It's called As Many Reps as Possible. And a lot of the proceeds from that, we donate to an organization called NIGU, which is a never, ever give up organization. And my wife also hosts an event called Ava's Kitchen with the help of a, a chef named Michael Mina, who has a restaurant at a place called the, or at the Levi Stadium, the 49er Stadium. We get a, yeah, we get a bunch of really cool live auction items and the people there are just really passionate to make an impact. And, you know, we donate the money to this organization and we give what's called like breakaway adventures. So like a thousand dollars to families to go to Disneyland or to do something. Or for Christmas time, we'll go and drop off, you know, thousand dollar checks to different families while they're in the hospital. And just really giving like this gift of putting a smile on kids' faces is the goal. And, um, they're more concerned about the, um, the care and less about the cure. I think the cure is very important as well, but this organization is about the care. You also shed light on blood drives. I know from my great aunt, she was diagnosed with myeloma, which is also blood cancer. And I mean, blood transfusions saved her life on so many different occasions. So when someone asks the question or may have asked you guys the question, what can we do to help? How can we help you guys get through this? Is that how you started shedding light on blood transfusion? Because that is something that people can actually do and ultimately can help save a life. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not donating blood, that's a low-hanging fruit that you could do, right? I didn't know that my blood type was rare until I started donating. And so now that's really good to know. And I need to, I want to contribute, right? And I think that it doesn't take any money. It just takes a little bit of your time. And I think that's really cool. So if you want to start doing that, that's there's plenty of places everywhere in the world to donate blood. And you never know when, when you might need it. So you might want to start uh, donating. <laughs> <laughs> Our gym, you know, we do we do it every year. And we have, you know, because we have these big gyms. And so you get hundreds and hundreds of people to show up and donate. And, you know, people want to donate. They just want also to be convenient. And we get behind it. It's a really cool community event. And like I said, I mean, it doesn't matter how rich you are. If you need a blood product and no one else donated it, it doesn't matter, right. right? You need to have somebody donate it. Just like I'd highly recommend that if you're not caught in swabbing for Be The Match, you should, you know? I mean, there's, there's, that's, just, that's just easy stuff that you could do to really make a big impact on somebody. What advice do you have for parents listening who may be going through a similar experience? Well, I mean, I just think if you're a parent out there with a child that's going through some type of you know, challenge, um, you know, research, understand it as much as you can. 
And then also just be informed and be there for the medicine and things of that nature. And, you know, I'd also just recommend if you're crushing it right now, which I hope you are, I really do, then, you know, make sure you take the time to develop as much as possible your relationships, your work, all these different things so that if life throws you a curveball, you're best prepared to take it. And I think one step in that direction is just going for a walk tomorrow. So the motivation is is utilize fitness as a catalyst towards getting a little bit uncomfortable and overcoming that adversity and see the benefit it provides to everything else. And, you know, we have an NC Fit app. If you guys want to check it out, obviously the book and um, we have the gyms here in the Bay Area if anybody's interested in somebody. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason, for speaking to me today and for all the great work that you're doing for those around you and those who may be going through a similar situation. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, it's just the beginning. So yeah, guys, if you want to, um, uh, Instagram is probably the best spot, Jason Kleepa, if you want to keep up with what we have going on. Um, also, uh, you know, Ava's Kitchen is a Instagram handle as well. And um, yeah, we'd love to just keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.